podcast experience. Join myself, Zorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Today, I have with me a special guest, someone that I was introduced through Instagram. He saw a post of mine that uh, I was sponsoring and he reached out to me and he just said, uh, you know, everything that you're about is really what I'm aligned with. And that led me to check out his page and specifically check out a really amazing music video that uh, he had released just recently. So we have a really exciting conversation ahead of us. And uh, so without further ado, please welcome Zarnoosh. So welcome, dude. Uh, how you doing? How's it going? I'm great, man. You know, I just uh, found a new base. It was a good transition. The world is burning, but I'm learning. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, with so much is happening in the world, I felt that 2020 was challenging and it provided the just like perfect um, pressure cooking situation to lead into just so much abundance. Um, so what I, I really want to know is... Um, what is your creation story? You know, like who is Zarnoosh and um, what makes you who you are in, in the form that you're in? Great question. Um, yeah, perceptual polyphony, I think would be a great way to summarize who and what I am. You know, I... Uh, I come from an ancient people. We don't have a home. I came to a new country, um, a Greco-Roman system of culture and being. Um, you know, I come from India. Growing up in India, up until the age of three to four, it was uh, coming off the heels of the British regime. So multiple realities multiple perceptions from childhood to now, um, conflicting ideas, conflicting viewpoints, accusations from my home life versus my public life. Um, yeah, I am conflict in the form of a human trying to heal himself. Wow. So with the the journey that you had to go through and you know the the upheaval um you know the art that you're making 
do you do you feel like that's a, a part of it or do you feel like um the art that you're creating is um uh like a liberation from it i would say a coalescence yeah. of those two ways of describing it pieces of me use the art to heal and pieces of me use the art to voice an opinion otherwise muted mm -hmm. so um we were talking a little bit uh before we were recording and uh your upbringing was Zoroastrian and and I say was because it's something that um I would say like you transitioned out of or you you still adapt into your life but not necessarily um fully identify as that so can you um first just kind of explain what Zoroastrianism because it's it's new to me and, it, and I'm sure it's new to people who are listening to this yeah, I mean, Zoroastrianism was essentially, arguably, the first monotheistic religion. Um, Zoroastrianism um, was dominant in pre-Islam, Middle East. And uh, yeah, I come from a Parsi sect of Zoroastrianism. So in the ancient times, um, we were persecuted by the Islamic community, which came to Iran. They started burning down our churches. So we cut, my ancestors cut. We're like, let's get out of here. We don't even want to fight. We want, don't want to deal with this. Let's take our secrets and roll. So we essentially went to India. I think there was a king or emperor of India at the time. And he wanted to know why he should let us come. He said, we already have a bunch of mixed cultures here. Why, why should we add another ingredient to this pot, change of the flavor of India? And so the story goes that our representative said to the king slash emperor, you know, we will be like milk and sugar. We will mix into the culture and assimilate with the culture like you won't even know we're here. And that moved the emperor and he allowed us to come. We set up shop in the province of India called Gujarat. And that's where I was born. I was born in Mumbai. And uh, sorry, that's not where I was not born, but that's where my people predominantly are, as well as in Mumbai. So yeah, I'm technically, I was born indoctrinated through a coming of age ceremony, very similar to um, the Jewish faith. We have something called a Navjot. So when you're a young man from the ages of 10 to 12, you have to go through this ceremony and you become part of the faith. So, yeah, Zoroastrianism in a nutshell, good words, good thoughts, good deeds. And that's yeah. pretty much how we live. Yeah. Before our interview here, I was, um, I was looking it up and I um, saw that there are actually a few parallels to um, just like yogic philosophy, um, particularly with the idea of there being um, beings or entities who are responsible for creation or destruction, right? So like in, in yoga, you have uh, 
like uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and uh, and Shiva, um, you know, which I have uh, like tattooed fully on my arm here. <laughs> so um, I thought that was really interesting to see that, and it, and it makes sense, like what you're saying, how um, through the persecution of the Zoroastrians, um, that they would want to go into India. Um, and that there's this, um, integration between the cultures and, um, I, I, I don't know really how far you've gone into practicing Zoroastrian. Um, I just noticed that the key terms that I saw and just like the little research that I've done, um, you know, just sparked in my mind how interesting it is that these two cultures would meet and they would have uh, this similar similar philosophy yet be so uh, diametrically opposed, right? Where you have um, Zoroastrian, which is monotheistic, and then you have um, in, um, Hinduism or you have like the Vedas that are polytheistic, right? And they have the whole representation of multiple gods. Um, so I, I guess from when you were a child to now, how much can you say Zoroastrian is a, is a part of your life or possibly has some kind of influence? I mean, vastly. Um, so for me, I started devout. My family was devout. You don't question the status quo. You're a child. You just take what's given to you. Eventually, I broke that. I broke through the matrix, realized that, why do I believe this perception that was given to me when I see all these other perceptions around me, all these other cultures, equally as valid or not? So from being pretty devout as a young one, I went pretty hard atheist, you know. I would say my teen years, I was uh, following the four horsemen, you know, that Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, um, yeah. Richard Dawkins and um, who was the fourth? Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Oh my goodness, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I was uh, I discovered atheism and science and then I grew older and I started really man, to me it all boils down to our points of origin in terms of perceptual existence in the material plane is an immaterial point of origin. Mm -hmm. The ego is immaterial. So for me, I was hard science, hard seeing is believing for a long time, you know, fuck religion, etc. But then eventually I just had this realization that it doesn't make sense for it all to be material when it starts with an immaterial perception, an immaterial perspective. What is the mind, if not nothing, yet something? You can't calculate it. It's more than the brain. It's more than firing neurons. There's something else going on. So that started to elicit me to kind of seek more esoteric and spiritual paths, which led me back to Zoroastrianism and the wisdom of the Zoroastrians. Um, for example, the three wise men were Zoroastrians. I'm not sure if you knew that. No, I didn't. That's interesting. 
Yeah, the term magi actually was a term denoted to describe us and our faith. Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, even in my own study and, uh, you know, because my upbringing isn't, isn't yogic at, at all. You know, I'm Serbian. I grew up in a Serbian household. Both my parents left Serbia back in the 70s and um, made a whole new world for themselves. And um, I guess the, the interesting thing is like how your upbringing was um, really strict around the Zoroastrianism where mine was pretty loose you know my parents were like you know what we're 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 not going to be going to church um you know every sunday we're not we're not going to make you read the bible we're not going to make you do these things um as long as you can appreciate the teachings as long as you can um follow the guidance that we give that we've learned about how you treat yourself, how you treat others, how giving you are. And, and so my kind of upbringing into yoga has been just a really a synchronistic thing where when I was a child, I'll do weird things like weird breathing techniques just on my own. I would, be I would do yoga postures without knowing it, like full wheel and headstand and shoulder stand and stuff. And then it it naturally led to this point of of having the internet and looking into what the chakras are and energies and 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 all this stuff that um you know I let go of really being religious as, as a child, because I, I, it wasn't really brought up to that. And I just, I kind of went naturally into this realm of atheism because my dad really was into science and he was taught, teaching me a lot of things. And so likewise with you, right. I just kind of that whole idea of, of, uh, of God or something greater than yourself or that immaterial realm and the non-physical existence just totally slipped my awareness until um, I reintroduced it through yoga and through really understanding um, what meditation can do and and whatnot. So that yeah, that's that sounds pretty synchronous. So I think for me, my yoga would be a combination. In, in the sense you just described, my catalyst would be um, more psychedelic and musical based. Mm -hmm. I think it was, um, you know, I experimented a lot with psychedelics as a child. So yeah, yeah, I traveled, deep. I traveled very deep, very young. I didn't know what I was experiencing. And I was lucky to have, have some like pretty great breakthroughs that I didn't really understand what they were until recent times. Um, there was a notable LSD trip I took at the age of 16 where I met an entity, you know, and it was a very personal story I kept to myself for a long time. But as I've grown up, I've seen many other psychonauts have had similar experiences, you know, on mushrooms and DMT. And um, 
I started to piece it together in reverse. And I would say, you know, I, I was gifted with a pretty beautiful mind, always questioning, always looking beyond the status quo. And yeah, psychedelics and mastery of an art form and the pursuit of mastery, I think were the two things that really started to refine my chaotic view into a, a more narrow, like laser point of focus of yes, there's something more to this. And yes, I can harness this. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really beautiful. And it's amazing how that comes about from that chaos, right? Where the initial introduction to especially psychedelics where um, you're young and impressionable and you don't really know what you're doing, but then you're catapulted into such an immense and intense experience where that, um, that impression or that like being impressionable is taken advantage of, but in the best way possible, because likewise with me, you know, like I, the first time I did mushrooms was I was like 16 and, um, I, I really got into doing psilocybin, uh, up until into my twenties, where was some of the first times I started, um, experimenting with MDMA and, and LSD and finally getting into the realm of DMT and eventually ayahuasca in, in 2019. But those, those first few years were really pivotal because likewise when I was young and I was 19 years old I had the most profound psilocybin experience and profound just experience in general regardless of of the influence of a, of a psychedelic just the experience itself was just so profound and answered so many questions and showed so many different um, truths to what that non-physical immaterial world is um yeah and it's it, it's interesting how it shapes the the art that we create and and now it makes sense when i kind of reflect on the the video that i watched that you created um you, you really have those those elements of it so do you think that's um, what the influence was or was it um, not really related to kind of like your upbringing and, and the psychedelic experiences that you've had? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. We, we definitely didn't go into that project. Um, you know, I'd love to say that we went in there with this, you know, brilliant plan to reference these inner pieces of myself but really you know it was more about the dynamic of the there was three to four of us involved in creating that video mm -hmm. um there was myself there was this poor lost soul starter grade that you know i was grateful to have shared some time with and to have helped him through a tough period in his life with the music um and then there was victor Oli who is a fantastic director and I'm really excited to work more with him on future projects. 
like my upcoming debut single, which will be starting together shortly. Um, so that that video, I think, was more. I'm I'm a big fan of improvisation. I think the magic is in the moment. I think the magic is uh, acting without a plan. I think that's how you tap into the source without thinking about it, just being and flowing. And for me, I wanted to extrapolate that in the process. So I was pretty adamant with um, Stardegrade as well as Victor that I didn't want to overthink things. I wanted just a general concept and to just improvise the day. And I guess because improvisation, like I said, I believe is the magic of the moment is eternity itself, I think. Um, these aspects of my life were bound to be reflected in the project. Yeah, and that and that makes sense because though the video is obviously put together and it's and it's stylized in a in a particular way, and you may not think that there's this element of uh, improvisation. But I think that's what makes it so magical, and that's what makes it such a like a powerful thing. Where you you see all these elements put together in in a seemingly concrete way, um, but then to find out that there was this fluidity to it, and really there wasn't this um, like perfectly laid out skeleton and it's really what i think captures the the beauty of it and um yeah so i think at this point i would like to uh play that video and and show it to people um so um so here it is. This is uh, the music video by uh, Zarnoosh and uh, the team that he is with called Beyonce.
So what is, uh, what's your kind of vision going forward, you know? So, um, you know, people watch this video, um, you know, uh, and, you know, just, just to be clear, it is two different people and, um, you know, there's, there's starter grade and then there's, uh, uh, Zarnoosh, uh, who you are, and you were pretty much the kind of lead in, in creating it with, um, the lyrics and the production and the editing. And, and now, uh, this, uh, this being that you are, you are moving forward in the vision that you have. So, is there a kind of sense that you can give in the direction that you're going and kind of uh, uh, what your passion is in, in the music that you're creating and the art that you're creating? Absolutely. Um, to me, the music that I'm writing now and I'm looking to create is my way of finding the philosopher's stone within myself, which I think is a coalescence of your inner self and your higher self and your material self and your societal self and every self you can think of. And um, I'm essentially yeah, I guess I'm just trying to set the world on fire, man. It's, it's a tough question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I believe in the stars, I believe in space, I believe in fire, and I believe that everyone's broken. Some people don't know they're broken. And I, I would like to help myself and hopefully help others along the way with my words and, and my narrative. Yeah, and I'd like to get into that, that sense of, of being broken, because... I think that's what's evident, right? I think, um, I'm just going to start that again. My dog is barking. Yeah, I know. Can I, I want to do a couple of those again too. You Can I be like a little picky with the clips and stuff? Yes. Yeah. You can totally, I'll, <laughs> I'll send you, uh, this whole thing. You can, uh, cool. yeah, I'll just send it, uh, raw as it is. And yeah, okay, you cool. can do what you want. Um, So yeah, I want I want to go more into that sense of, of being broken because we're seeing it in our world so clearly. And I I get this idea from people of like, oh, there's so many bad things happening, the world is getting worse. Um and I don't agree with that 
because I think the world has always been in turmoil. And mm -hmm. what we have now is an amazing technology that basically shines a spotlight on the terrible things that that happen where say if you look back like two three hundred years ago without cameras without video cameras without the internet you have a lot of people that can secretly go around and do terrible things and that's coming out of that sense of being broken right and and now there's this spotlight on us to really indicate the state of our little shards and the state of what's broken. And I've felt for me, the yoga practice that I've been doing and the, and the meditation that I've been doing has been really helpful in either putting the pieces back together or even just discarding what can't and accepting the, the part of me that may not heal or will heal through more of the practice that I'm doing. So do you feel that where you are in your life and possibly the practices that you have or, um, you know, the, the art that you do is a part of getting in touch with that sense of, of brokenness? Absolutely. And, and, you know, you made a really great observation there about the moral gray area that people used to live in, in antiquity. And, um, you know, I, you know, the book 1984, George Orwell. Yeah. So in it, big brother, big brother's watching. It's a dystopian society, cameras everywhere. You can't breathe without the government judging you for it. And I, I really, really like what you touched on with the technology, because I think that now we live in a time where we were always anticipating big brother, but I don't think we were ever anticipating little brother, right? And I feel little brother is watching as well. Little brother is the people, is the guy with the cell phone watching George Floyd. That's little brother. The iPhone's a little brother. And yeah, I, you know, on a, on a macroscopic level, I, the world absolutely is not as bad as people think. It's definitely better than it's ever been. I come from Mumbai, India, you know, um, a land of extremes, extreme juxtaposition. You'll have the Taj Mahal Hotel, this gorgeous marble floored hotel. Arch beautiful architecture, clean, you can eat off the floor. And then just a couple kilometers away, you'll have the biggest slums in the world, you know, and I, I really do think that most of the world lived like that for most of time, most of the human world in this loop of society, rather. And, um, and, and yeah, I think it's, it is better. And, and to sit there and say, it's not better and things are getting bad really takes for granted the good people before us who had to live when it wasn't it wasn't better and they never had instant connection so yeah for me absolutely absolutely i think i run in parallel i i i'm i am a renegade myself and when the system goes down i go up mm -hmm. that's how i truly feel and 
and I really do think, you know, this is some form of, I think there's, there's a great psychological sickness right now. I think the, the pressures of modern society, the nine to five grind, I think, I think um, there's a mental baggage that's come with it that I don't think the ancients had to deal with. I think it was pretty like, you want to kill, kill. You want to fuck, fuck. Like, it's very different now. Now, you know, judgment. Judgment is everywhere. And I think it's time to move beyond judgment. You know, the, the, ancient, the ancient religions of the past, it was about cycles. It wasn't about good or bad. And for me, I think we're, we're ebbing back into a cyclical society, a cyclical way of being. So for me, I guess, I wanna use my art, my voice, my magic to remind people of the cyclical way of being, you know? Things aren't that bad. They could be worse. Trust the flow. Surrender to the process. Trust your instincts. So for me, yeah, absolutely. I think extrapolating on that, my music is definitely a way for me to reflect that back into the world and contribute. Like I want to contribute. I want to help. I want to do my piece. I want to feel like I did my piece. So yeah, abs absolutely. The, wor the world might be a little sick. It's not as sick as people thought and I'm here to heal them anyways. <laughs> yeah, because that process of healing is, is completely unique to each and every person, right? And, you know, the, the work that I do and, um, cause I'm also a musician and I, um, you know, I, I'm more on the side of, of instrumental, um, with guitar and the work with my producer, John Atonic. Um, and I, doing everything I can to blend that into the, the yoga teaching and philosophy and experience that I'm wanting to bring through this podcast. And also, um, uh, just with the small group of people that I, that I teach. And that's the one thing that I really realized because when I first started my yoga journey, I went into the full-on commercial realm of teaching in studios and wanting to do retreats and the blessing of the pandemic and how all of that was taken away, it allowed me to step back and really realize what my core value is in the, in the yogic teaching and how even though my ability to teach in person was taken away and I, and I didn't get into, you know, teaching over zoom and trying to get people to, to do that. I, I looked at how the yoga continued in my life. It was still there. The wheels were still moving. Maybe I wasn't doing my physical practice every day. Maybe I wasn't meditating every day, but it was still in my mind. It was still in my being. It was still there. And it naturally led to, well, how did the ancients do it? You know, because there's got to be a point where 
they had that experience too, where everything was fine until one day they weren't allowed to teach what they were teaching. You know, maybe um, the cycle, like you were talking about, the cycle was a um, uh, a downward spiral in the cycle, and the tyrants were coming into power, and they're saying, "No, like you can't teach what you're teaching, otherwise, like we're gonna kill you." And so. Um, what it's been coming back to for me is the Upanishads and the Upanishads simply, um, as you may know, like it just means, uh, sitting at the feet of like the teacher or the master. Right. Um, and what's really amazing is the house that I just moved in on into above the back door is this stone plaque of the Upanishads. And it just like totally surprised me because I didn't experience, I didn't expect that. And it just was a part of that synchronicity of that serving that reminder, like, no, 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 it's not about getting online and trying to force yourself into people like paying to do yoga, be the Upanishads, right? Start with just a few people who want to learn from you, close friends or whoever, and you know form a small group and do something outwardly that can um reflect that yoga um without having to charge for it so now it's like i don't even want people to pay me for yoga you know like i i just want to do it freely and um you know i know when it comes to like music and stuff there's there's all these different realms because obviously we live in a material world with a financial system and so it makes sense that you know we need to make offerings so that we can have a living for our own and however there's a way about it that's so much more harmonious and i i wonder if if you feel the same sentiment with with your music, maybe not for like the giving it away for free, but, um, the sense of, uh, of returning to yourself and, and doing it for the greater good of people, you know, where that element of Zoroastrianism is there, where it's like you're following, um, uh, the deity that is giving out goodness and how the creation that you make out of that, um, uh, is kind of returned to the world and, and given out and, you know, you know, blessed blessings be upon me sort of thing, you know, when you do it. Wow. I mean, you touched on a lot of great stuff, but I did want to start, you know, by saying that, um, enlightened dark rocks. Yeah. I listened to it really great stuff. So that was a pleasure for me to stumble upon because you didn't really open with that when we first met so i was like okay okay this is something and it really spoke to me some really beautiful work man that that was an absolute treat to kind of just like find like a kinder egg surprise hidden within your soul so really great stuff man nice really thank you beautiful work and yeah absolutely um yeah and there's another thing you touched on too um in terms of you had stopped the regimented practice of going to the schools and kind of following the the path that was set out um for you but 
within your mind, you were still advancing down, down the path. You were still advancing down the road, even though you weren't physically doing it. You, and you know, that this is like a weird immaterial hunch I've had my whole life. Um, I started as a drummer in, in technical death metal bands actually was where I came from. So quite a shift my journey has taken me on. Um, and I, I had a similar experience um, when I was heavy into being a drummer, not a songwriter. And that was like, I would be able to not practice my drums, but here, you know, an amazing, like, I don't know, some back then it would have been, it would have been some crazy blast beat riff, something, you know, so Dillinger escape plan or something incredibly technical. And I would think about it and process it. And then the next, and I wouldn't touch my drum kit for weeks, sometimes months. And then I'd sit down and all of a sudden my coordination's up, my grooves are better. And this was always some like weird esoteric concept I had in my mind. And I, I, a few years ago, I read about this study, you know, now it's been proven. I don't know the study, but I will paraphrase it. And it was something like they took a group of people and they had them write a test and another group of people had them write a test. And then one group of people were actually practicing the source material. The other group of people weren't allowed to practice the source material, you know, and, but we're supposed to think about it. And then at the end of X amount of days, they had both advanced at a pretty similar level. So really, you know, that is something that I really love that you mentioned because that's a really moving concept to me that you don't actually have to do the physical action always in order to travel down the path. So yeah, that was, yeah. And that's something that's even showed up in my life as a guitarist, right? Where you know, sometimes a month goes by and I'm not even playing guitar. And then I, I just, I literally wake up and the first thing I want to do is go play my guitar. And I immediately feel like I just understand it more. And then just this whole new stream of music comes out and it's, and I'm seeing how that's, that's shaping and how that's coming through with this podcast and uh, the yoga that I'm doing was like, there's this necessary downtime, you know, like um, your guides or spirits or synchronicity, whatever it is, there's something in you that goes, okay, just stop for a little bit, live your life, just keep doing what you need to do to survive and, and grow. And we'll take care of when it's really going to come out and bud and flower. Um, and it's not easy, you know, um, a, for me personally, having a consistent practice has always been a struggle where there'd be sometimes I can go like months and I'm good. And suddenly, you know, two, three weeks, four weeks. And I'm like, ah, oh, I only, you know, did a practice maybe four times. And it, it was really coming to a point over the last couple of years, especially having an injury and, and healing from an injury where, the the motivation to wake up and and do the practice is really weighing on me until really just this year where i had the realization like yoga and what it is fundamentally for me is for the rest of my life you know given my tattoo given the initiations that i've done it's not going anywhere anytime soon so i don't need to rush. I don't need to 
force myself like I did because that's what brought about the injuries. And I think that's what goes into this whole sense of being broken and that illness or that sickness, right? This, this need to rush through things and not really understand the, the whole process of growth that's, that's taking place. And when we can actually slow down, when we can actually give ourselves the time to, to understand what it means to have uh, something significant in our lives for the rest of our lives, because I'm sure that's what you feel about music too, right? When, it's, when you start young and it's a choice that you made yourself, that's how you know that there's a level of commitment that supersedes everything else, right? Like, you know, it's just like when kids are forced into violin or piano or something, and then by the time they're 18, they never want to touch a piano or violin again. But for, say, individuals like us, where we're like, we don't have anyone around us that's forcing anything, and we're just like, I need to do that. I need to do that. That is the... Um, great signifier that's going to be there for the rest of your life. So enjoy the whole process, you know, incredibly blessed we are. And the older I get, uh, it's so rare to find people like us, you know, and I, I don't think I really wish kids could understand that, you know, that just in going against the grain. And like you said, choosing for yourself, your path, you are so lucky you do not even know it the uncertainty of life is brutal and to be able to have any form of certainty in your life loop i think is an absolutely beautiful thing um yeah you know i think it's about surrender man i, I think what you're touching on if, if i'm is the essence of like like hustle culture has got to go mm-hmm. like it, it, it's too much right it, it's too much grinding every day, you know, back like our elders, they didn't, they were proud of not getting sleep. They were proud of working themselves to death all, all in the name of what, like retirement, a couple of years at the end of the line where you can finally enjoy the fruits of your, your labor. And, and for me, it's like, we might not get to retirement, you know? So Surrender to the process. Trust yourself. If you're tired, slow down. Take a break. Four quality hours of work far supersedes 12 hours of bogged down, brainless, you have no energy work, living, loving, playing, whatever it is, whatever the action is of the day, finding yourself, peace, breathing, finding stillness in either direction of the gradient of existence. You, you need to pace yourself. And, and this is something I think a lot of people are waking up to right now. I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I was reading this article uh, the other day and they were saying how the future is going to be, you know, four hour work days with four day work weeks. And, and you know what? I believe it. I, I believe it. I mean, we grind less hard than our ancestors did, you know, just to go to the toilet was a mission back in the day. You go back far enough. Like every, <laughs> every little thing we take for granted was incredibly yeah. good if you go back far enough so yeah you know i think i think it's a matter of surrendering and and to touch back a couple questions ago you had asked me my pursuit of music you know i do love to share my light you know i have a lot of really great young and older artists 
um, under under my belt that I'm I am helping and I am guiding and I am showing them how to find their true voice and you know to find the the balance between replication and creation you know and and it's a wonderful thing giving back while you grow yourself you know teaching is a wonderful way to learn so yeah man I I, I love I love the concept of surrendering surrendering to the process and open source living right giving away the magic like why hold on to the secrets until you die so you have an elevated position isn't that counter existence Mm -hmm. so i really do love that um you made this assertion that you yourself as one within this hierarchical almost like Boy Scouts merit badge system of spirituality, right? Like, and I have noticed that on my own because as like what I do consider myself to be a spiritual renegade because it's all been very few, if any of the people around me for most of my life could speak this language. And it wasn't until the past few years that like I've been more open with it and I've been meeting like-minded people and a majority like, and the deeper I got into that world of other open-minded spiritual people where God is an internal being, not an external being, essentially, I think is one of the, the delineating factors was I absolutely noticed that on my own. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because it's like, you don't get to judge my ascension based on the amount of hours you've done in this retreat or the amount of hours you've done with this teacher. It's like, I truthfully believe that the teacher within me is just as valid, you know, and there is this um, spiritual superiority that comes across. And it's like, well, I've got six, six badges because I've traveled 10 mountains and I've starved myself. And it's just like, I don't think that's how it works. It's almost like you're, you're, it's become a profit game, right? So I really, really felt comforted that to hear from someone who was within that system to kind of make that call to say to me that like, yeah, like I got kind of turned off by that, like the sharing the light without expectation, mm-hmm. monetary expectation or um, societal status was like that's the truest of the light man that's the that's true righteousness so i was really moved by that you know so thank you for sharing that that was really really a reassuring perspective to hear yeah you're so welcome and it, it largely comes from my teacher um Bishiji, and just everything that i've explored um just through understanding cults and how there are spiritual teachers that stray in that direction of obtaining power or wanting power. And, you know, I've had really beautiful experiences to show me that my way of, of connecting with people and the way of teaching yoga is how my teacher went about it, where when, um, he was in, uh, in, in university in, in Rishikesh and he was in the Gurukul, he was told by his teachers like, 
your students are your students. Like you're not supposed to be friends with them. They're under you, right? Like you're above them because you know the secrets, you know the teachings, you know what they don't know. And he turned to them and he said, no, like these people are my friends, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm connecting to them as friends because they want to be my friend. And I, I, I can't say no to that. And so his core philosophy is that everyone he meets and everyone he teaches, even if he just meets them for a retreat or just for, um, you know, a training that he says, you know, you're all my friends and I, and I want you to know that. And he's grown a, a really beautiful gathering of, um, of Akunda yogis. And, you know, he's initiated well over probably 50,000 people into the Akunda yoga lineage now. And it's, and it's, and everyone really feels that like, I, I've never really seen anyone kind of like bash him or anything because there's that purity. And so I see that and I can't help, but be encouraged to go in that direction and in my own way. Right. So I'm not going to do what maybe other people do and, um, you know, dress the way that he's dressing and teach the way that he's teaching. I'm like, you know what? I grew up loving metal. I grew up loving classic rock. You know, I grew up as a guitarist and I love wearing band t-shirts and jeans and that's just who I am. And I'm still going to be a hardcore yogi. I'm still going to do crazy breathing techniques and meditations and do that. And I'm going to be true to who I am as well. And, um, you know, how my family raised me and that's how I want to be inspiring to other people is that you don't have to give up who you are yoga is a is an addition to your life it's an additive it's what makes everything else so much better it's what's gonna make um, you as a guitarist or an artist that much better because you're gonna be that much more concentrated and and focused on on what you do like what Sadhguru says you know like we're um uh how does he say it? We're like secret yogis or we're uh, like um, undercover yogis, right? There's going to be people who are CEOs or athletes or whatever that they're actually yogis. And that's really how I've gone about it. But the secret's out. I'm a yogi and that's what I do. <laughs> Beautiful and well said, man. What a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, man. Likewise. Um, so I think... Uh, Thank you for everything that you do, and uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. It was really wonderful chatting with you. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, you know, I'll have links up of, of all the things, but uh, you know, like Instagram, website, uh, you know, wherever uh, you find you share yourself. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm extremely grassroots right now. So if you'd like to follow my journey, you can find me at zarnoosh.fire at Instagram. That's my Instagram handle. And it's pretty much all there. So zarnoosh.fire on Instagram and from a seed to a tree, bless the multiverse. Thank you, Zorananda. Amazing. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and enjoy. 